Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, The Ultimate Purpose of Faith. Today, I want to talk to you about the ultimate purpose of faith. Sounds kind of high-minded, doesn't it? Last week, we talked about the essence of faith. So this week, we're going to talk about the ultimate purpose of faith. And by way of introduction, I want to start with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, reading in the authorized King James Version. But without faith... It is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. Now let me read it to you in the NIV. It's a little clearer, and I actually like this a lot. Hebrews 11.6 in the NIV. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Amen. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Your first step toward God is believing that he exists. Using the faith that he put in you, and he did put it in you. If you go over there to Romans chapter 1, you'll find out. The Bible says that God put into every man, woman, and child an innate sense of the eternal, an innate knowledge of God. And if you just yield to that, use that little bit of faith that was planted in your heart when you came into this world, you can believe that God exists. And then you can make the decision to diligently seek Him. Isn't that right? So many people associate this scripture with the use of our faith to meet our immediate physical needs, housing, clothing, finances, transportation, the healing of our bodies. Although these are legitimate uses of our faith and God expects us to believe Him for these things, faith has a much higher purpose than just meeting our immediate physical needs. The most important purpose of our faith is to live a life that is pleasing to God. We just read in the scripture, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So the most important purpose of our faith is to live a life that is pleasing to God. And to live a life that is pleasing to God is to become the person He created you to be, to do the things He created you to do, to reach the people He created you to reach, and change the world around you for the kingdom of God. A lot of people have asked this question in their lifetime, me included. Why am I here? What am I doing on planet Earth? What is my purpose? Even unbelievers ask that question. But believers know they're here for a purpose. And they're crying out from their heart to know what that purpose is. Inside every true child of God, 
There is a yearning desire to know why we were created, to know what it is we're supposed to do, to know why we're here on planet Earth. Isn't that right? I've never met any serious believer who doesn't constantly have on their mind, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I in the will of God for my life? Isn't that right? If you're a serious believer, it's on your mind all the time. With that in mind, I want to encourage you along these lines. I want you to know that there is a spiritual force on the inside of you that is constantly at work, empowering and encouraging you to follow the plan of God for your life. Let me show you that in the scripture. Philippians 2.13 in the King James Version. Philippians 2.13, King James Version. For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is working in you constantly and urging you and encouraging you and empowering you to do his will, to do his good pleasure. Isn't that encouraging? Listen to it in the Amplified. This is awesome. For it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work that is strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. Wow. Isn't it comforting to know that there's a force inside of you that's urging you like this? I want to share a testimony of a powerful visitation that I had on the 26th of January, the year 2000, that really brought this scripture to life for me. I call it the wind and the fire. Some of you have heard this testimony. Some of you might be hearing it for the first time. That Friday night on January 26th, the year 2000, my wife and three daughters, my three daughters were still at home. They were teenagers. And they had went to the video store. Remember back in the day when you went to the video store? And they had picked out a bunch of chick flicks. And I watched like the first one. And I had my fill. And I said, you guys got it. I'm going to bed. And they stayed up at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning watching chick flicks. But I went to bed probably about midnight. And I think I was asleep about an hour and I was woken by the sound of a rushing, mighty wind blowing into the bedroom. I looked to my left, and the, the blinds were shaking, and the curtains were blowing, yet the windows were closed. So I knew right off the bat it was a supernatural wind. And I also was aware that the covers that covered me on the bed had been blown off by this wind. And the wind was just briskly blowing, making a lot of racket. And I was aware that I was experiencing a powerful visitation of the Lord. I felt a heaviness that was on me. It was like the glory of God, the weighty glory of God, pressing me down in the bed. And I could barely move. I felt impressed to look up at the ceiling. And I looked up at the ceiling and I saw the ceiling disappear. And a large ball of fire 
come through the ceiling and come down and rest on my head and shoulders on the bed. And I felt the fury of this fire and I felt the great heat of this fire, but I knew I was not being consumed. So I knew it was a supernatural fire. My first instinct, this is why I'm sharing this with you. My first instinct when the glory of God fell in that place that night was to worship God Almighty. With every ounce of strength I had in me, I managed to raise my arms in the air. It took me about 15 seconds to do so. And I began to worship the Lord. And I want you to know in the powerful presence of God, this is the first thing that came out of my innermost being. Tears began to stream down my eyes as I said this to the Lord. Oh Lord, the greatest desire of my heart is to be the man you call me to be. Do the things you call me to do. Reach the people you call me to reach, Lord. It is in my heart to do your will. Oh, Lord, burn up the chaff that is in me. Take away the dross that is in me and make me into that man. Oh, Lord, I'm shaking. I'm crying. I'm weeping. And then the Lord dealt with me over some things that I was dealing with that at that time in my life in ministry. And I won't go into that part of it. He stood at the foot of the bed. And he began to deal with me about some things that I needed to take care of in my life. Some corrections that I had to make if I was going to become the man that I desired to be. But my whole point of sharing that story is this. The desire is in there. On the inside of you. To become the person God created you to be. To to do the things he created you to do. To reach the people he created you to reach. And change the world around you for the kingdom of God. That desire is working in you 24-7. All you have to do is make up your mind. You're going to yield to that desire. And God put that in you when you got born again. And I like to think about it like this. And he turned up the volume when you got filled with the Holy Spirit. With this in mind, let's reread Hebrews 11.6. And I want to break it down for you. Hebrews 11.6 in the NIV says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So in order to begin the journey down the path that God has set for you, there are two necessary first steps. Number one, we've already alluded to this. You must first believe that God exists. You can't get anywhere until you do that step. Then number two, you must earnestly seek Him. You must pursue a relationship with Him. And if a person will take these first two steps, the Word of God says that God will reward you for diligently seeking Him. So my question is, How will he reward you? You ever think about that when you read that verse? Well, there's many ways that the Lord will reward those who earnestly seek him. But I believe there are two which are foundational and form the lifetime basis for faith in God. Number one, 
If you seek the God of the universe with all of your heart, he will reveal himself to you. And he will bring you into right relationship with him. Number two, if you earnestly pursue a relationship with God, he will reveal his purpose for you in this life. And that purpose, as we said before, is to live a life that is pleasing to God. To become the person he created you to be, to do the things he created you to do, to reach the people he created you to reach, to change the world around you for the kingdom of God. You know, that's called repetition for emphasis, so you can remember. To bring this concept to life, I want to read through the first part of Hebrews chapter 11. You know, Hebrews 11 is commonly referred to as the hall of fame of faith because it shares great examples of men and women of God in the Bible who lived a life of faith and quite literally changed the world around them for the kingdom of God. Hebrews 11, starting at verse 1 and reading through verse 8 in the King James Version. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now we get to verse 6 in context, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Enoch was a man of God, and he pursued diligently a relationship with God his Father. He wanted to spend all of his time with God, so much so that God says, I have to have him in heaven with me. And he took Enoch in a physical human body and translated him Beamed him up from planet earth to planet heaven to be with God. And he is still there in a physical human body right now. Isn't that cool? He's one of two people that are in physical human bodies that are permanent residents of heaven right now. Enoch is one and Elijah is the other. Amen. But it all happened because he lived a life that was pleasing to God. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. Think about it. God told Abraham, I want you to go in this direction, and I want you to keep going until I say stop. 
not knowing where he was going. That's faith. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, so I want to back up and reread verses 1, 2, and 3. I want to show you something that you might not have seen so you can better understand what this chapter is all about. It's all there in verse 1, 2, and 3. So Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, once again. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we have the definition of faith in verse 1. Verse 2, for by it, by what? For by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Then verse 3 says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, if you do a surface reading of these verses, you might assume that verse 3 is all of a sudden changing the subject to start talking about the creation of the world. The universe says we know it. But a closer examination of the verse in context reveals that it's really referring to something a little bit more specific. If you back up to verse 1 and 2, you realize that the subject of the passage is the elders, their faith and their exploits, not the creation of the world. That's why immediately it starts listing things like by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Sarah, and on and on and on through the chapter. So it behooves us, if you would allow me to use that fancy word, to take a real close look at verse 3 here to find out what's really going on. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I'm going to break it down for you. The word translated worlds there is actually translated from the Greek word eon. And it means specific allotted periods of time. The word framed can also mean molded, shaped, or transformed. The phrase By the word of God can also be translated by a word from God. And the last part of the verse literally means that the invisible force of faith brought into being natural things that were not there before. Put it all together and we see that, listen to me, and we see that the elders, through the operation of their faith, during their specific allotted periods of time, completely transformed the world around them, changing events, people, circumstances, even history itself, because they received a word from God. That's what's being said there. That's why it follows with, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abel, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, and on and on and on. My question to you is this. What's your word from God? Who has he called you to be? What has he asked you to do? Awful quiet, Miss Presbyterian Church. Well, if you don't know, you need to get busy seeking the Lord. And if you do know, then you need to get busy 
becoming the person he called you to be so that you do the things he called you to do, reach the people he called you to reach, and change the world around you for the kingdom of God. Need some inspiration? I know I do. Let's at another SNL reference. Let's look at the life of Abraham and see how the pattern we find in verse 3 is manifested in his life. Okay, okay, okay. For those of you that don't remember, SNL skit where Will Ferrell does an impression of Harry Carey, the famous Cubs baseball announcer. Okay. I, I, show of hands. How many knew what that was a reference to? Okay, four people. <laughs> All right, praise the Lord. Now the rest of you know. If you ever saw that skit, you'd, now you would fall out of your chair. He says things like, Did you ever know that the moon was made of green cheese? Would you like to eat some of that cheese? I know I would. That may or may not make it on the podcast. That's why I said, I know I do. All right. You know, a merry heart doeth good like medicine. Some of you need some medicine this morning. Hallelujah. All right, let's look at the life of Abraham and see how the pattern we find in verse 3 is manifested in his life. I think he's the prime example because he's the father of our faith. Now, Abraham was born in Ur of the Chaldeans and was raised in the culture of the Chaldeans. His father, Terah, was a maker of idols in a city that believed in many gods, the highest of which was Nana, the moon god, not to be mistaken with Nana, who's sitting on the front row here. The Chaldeans were known for their skill in astronomy, but also they dabbled in astrology and what the men of their day called the dark arts. So out of this culture of darkness, which worshipped the sun, the moon, and the stars, God called Abraham. Genesis 15, verse 7. King James Version. This is God speaking to Abraham. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Amen. So God brought Abraham out of that culture of darkness and into a culture of light and knowing God. Amen. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote that Abraham was a gifted astronomer and mathematician, a man after my own heart. And as he beheld the motion of the planets, the moon and the stars, he became convinced in his heart that there must be one true God who created, controlled, and upheld the universe. I like that. Me and Abraham have something in common. The man who led me to the Lord He said, is there anybody out there that would like to meet the God of the universe, the one who made the stars and the galaxy? I was the first person and the only person to put my hand up. So I know 
what Abraham felt like. Amen. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 3, King James Version. Wonderful passage of Scripture. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Who can look at a desert night sky and see all the brilliant numerous stars up there and say, this was all one big cosmic accident and keep a straight face? Somewhere in the first 75 years of his life, Abraham began to listen to the words that the stars and the planets were speaking unto him. And as a result, he rejected the idol-worshiping culture of Ur and turned his heart to seek the one true God of the universe. As a result, God revealed himself to Abraham, brought him into right relationship with him, and gave him a glimpse of his divine destiny. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, King James Version. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Romans 4, verse 3, King James Version. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. God told him what his great destiny was. And because Abraham believed God, he was counted righteous. Even before Jesus came, he was saved. You know, the people in the Old Testament were saved. They just weren't born again. If they trusted in Jehovah and the coming Redeemer, they were saved. But the people in the New Testament, because Jesus paid the price, were saved and born again. Amen? Do you understand the difference? So God used elements of his creation to reveal to Abraham the plan of God for his life. He spoke of dust, stars, and sand. Genesis 13, 16, King James. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Anybody out there ever tried to count dust? No, it's innumerable. It cannot be done. Genesis 15, 5. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Anybody looked at a starlit sky and started on the right-hand side and tried to count all the way over to the left? You get discouraged pretty quickly. It's impossible. 
Genesis 22, 17. I'm cracking my wife up this morning, so I am succeeding in my message. Genesis 22, 17. God said that in blessing, I will bless thee, and in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Amen. Anybody ever been to Riceful Beach and tried to count the number of specks of sand on the seashore? Impossible, innumerable. All these three things are things that are innumerable, too many to count. And God said, this is the way your descendants shall be. Amen. So Abraham received his word from God. And as a result, he became the man of faith that God called him to be. He did the things God called him to do. He reached the people God called him to reach. And he changed the world around him for the kingdom of God. And out of Abraham's offspring, the Hebrew people came forth. And out of the Hebrew people, the written word of God came forth. And ultimately, the living word of God, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All because one man believed God. You see why I picked Abraham as my example here. Amen. Because Abraham believed the word of the Lord for his life. He totally changed the world around him for the kingdom of God during his time on the earth and for thousands of years afterwards. No wonder he's called the father of our faith. Again, I ask the question, what's your word from God? Who has he called you to be? What has he asked you to do? And again, I say, if you don't know, Get busy seeking the Lord. And if you do know, then get busy being the person he called you to be. So you can do the things he called you to do and reach the people he called you to reach and change the world around you for the kingdom of God. Anybody keep track of how many times I've said that? Amen. But I want to shift gears here. And this is what the Lord gave me. This is an older message that I preached many years ago. And the Lord directed me to pull it out. And he said, I want you to change it a little bit in the ending. I want you to talk about personal calling. And then I want you to transition to collective calling. So here we go. Beyond our personal calling in life, there is a calling that is common to us all. One in which great faith is required. Part of becoming the person God has called you to be and doing the things that God has called you to do is taking your place of authority seated at the right hand of God the Father. We talked about it recently in our series on identity and authority. And it's a collective calling that we simply cannot ignore. Especially during the great battle that's raging in America today. As the church, we are called to be a governing body over our nation and over our world. You know, the word ecclesia, it's kind of a Christian buzzword, but it means a governing, ruling authority. We need to begin to see ourselves like that as a church, 
not only as individuals, but as a church, banded together, connected by the Holy Spirit. As the church, we are called to be a governing body over this nation and over this world. We're supposed to be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ right now, not waiting to do that in the millennium. We will be doing it in the millennium, but we need to do it now in the spirit to pave the way for his kingdom coming on the earth. We are called to exercise third heaven authority, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Again, we talked about this before, but it bears repeating. Let me show you that in the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 21, New King James Version. Paul is talking to the Ephesians about what belongs to them in Christ. And he says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So Christ, after he was raised from the dead, was elevated to the right hand of God in all authority, far above all principality, all power, all might, and all dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the world or the age to come. Amen. Let's keep reading Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. It gets better. New King James, even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Follow my logic. If Jesus has been placed at the right hand of the Father and we are now seated in heavenly places in Him, then we are also seated at the right hand of the Father. In a place of authority. Amen. We need to be offering up prayers of faith for our country right now. We're at a tipping point in this nation. We need to be making declarations and decrees of faith from our position of authority Far above every principality, power, might, and dominion. Now, if this is new to you, you can start by declaring to the atmosphere around you that righteousness, truth, and justice will prevail in America. Try it on for size. Get somewhere by yourself. Don't do this in Walmart. Say, Lord, I declare... That righteousness, truth, and justice will prevail in America. I've been praying that and saying that for two and a half years. The Lord showed me in a dream two and a half years ago, darkness was coming. Darkness was looming. And He warned me to begin praying against it and to begin declaring against it. And I have been. And I've added these declarations lately. Every work of darkness will be brought to light. Every evil plot whispered in secret will be shouted 
from the housetops. And righteousness, truth, and justice will prevail in America. In Jesus' name. So to wrap this up this morning, let me say this. The ultimate purpose of our faith is to become the person God called us to be, both individually and collectively. So that we do the things God called us to do, reach the people God called us to reach, and change the world around us for the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let me declare it before we wrap this up. Father, we declare your kingdom come, your will be done in America, in this election, as it is in heaven. Amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, The Ultimate Purpose of Faith. If you are blessed by this message and would like to donate to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at gofaithlife.com. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us, and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.